Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Talking Point. It's uh, 13 minutes off the hour of 7. Welcome back after the walk of our Aisha. Uh, my name is Mohammed Fasih Peterson. I'll still be with you up until 9 this evening. Uh, well, what we're focusing on now is nuclear energy. Our topic is, is nuclear energy the so-called holy grail to clean energy? Now, the South African government is going ahead with nuclear energy as a viable option to South Africa's energy woes. Yes, they will have six new power plants by 2013, which will cost between 400 million rand and 1 trillion rand to build. The question we ask this evening is, is nuclear energy really a viable option and how wise is the decision to increase SA's nuclear capacity? To find out more, we have Lizzie McDade, researcher, uh, University of Cape Town, as well as African Climate and Development Initiative, South Africa. Uh, Lizzie, good evening and welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, Frank. How are you? Very well, thank you, madam. And thank you for joining us this evening. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> anyway, uh, first of all, I mean, if we, we're talking about nuclear energy, and obviously uh, ISCOM is telling us uh, that we need these nuclear power plants uh, as a so-called uh, clean energy to take us uh, through the next uh, couple of years in terms of uh, the capa- building capacity so that uh, we don't need to have load shedding so that we can sustain the country. But first of all, if we're looking at nuclear energy, how clean is this uh, form of uh, energy generation? Um, well, when I um, think of clean energy, I'm thinking of energy that would be um, non-toxic and that would not generate carbon emissions, that would be kind to the planet and would be something that you would want to pass on to your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. When we look at nuclear, firstly, there's a myth that it's actually a zero carbon emissions and therefore climate friendly. Um, and that's not actually true. If you take the cycle of uh, nuclear energy, which involves um, uh, uranium mining, uh, through to uh, fuel production, through to building a power plant, running it, and then decommissioning it over time, um, it's only the operations that, uh, of the actual plant that are fairly clean. And it's equivalent to some of the renewable energy um, plants like wind. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it actually produces toxic waste, which is has to be kept safe for 200,000 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I um, always think of this one when we look at the pyramids. You know, like, I, I mean or we even think about to sort of 2,000, 3,000 years ago. I mean, do we even know what languages would we be able to <laughs> speak to the people if they appeared in the, in the street next to us? Um, mm-hmm. how, how are you even going to be able to explain to future generations that this stuff is so toxic that you actually got to leave it for another 200,000? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is where are you going to put it? Who is going to be happy to have it next to them? And also, interestingly enough, I mean, with six new power plants being uh, being uh, you know uh, seen uh, seen to be built in the next uh, couple of years, uh, this means that whatever uh, nuclear waste we're currently generating, that's going to be times seven. Uh, in a sense, mm. Uh, mm. we know we've got Coburg and now these other six mm. power plants that they're planning, which means that there's going to be seven times more uh, nuclear waste that we will have to then store, find a place to store. Yeah, and the other thing is that I don't know if your listeners know that all of the toxic spent fuel that has been generated by the Kuburg, which is the only nuclear power plant we have, mm. is actually sitting on site. 
mm-hmm. because there's, there's no there's no place to put it. We don't have such a storage site, um, and right now there's not a single one in the world that's operating commercially. I can't remember the number of dollars that the Americans put into trying to investigate a site, um, which they've now just recently decided is not actually suitable. Mm-hmm. But it's billions. Um, and so we are, it's, I mean, um, a friend once described it rather colloquially as saying, it's like building a house without a toilet. Mm-hmm. You're going to be generating this waste and what are you going to do with it? But I, I think it's, it's, you know, that might be a little bit of a joke, but we have to think about what's the reality. Um, and unfortunately, uh, in South Africa, when they looked for the place to put low-level waste, which is just like the boots and the clothing mm-hmm. and, and things like that, which workers at the power plant wear and then has to be put away somewhere for hundreds of years, um, they chose an area in the Northern Cape where there are a number of... Um, poorer communities that that live nearby Mm. and so this was done by the apartheid government but um you know it's maybe no coincidence that the states also picked a place uh where the indigenous um people lived so it's kind of nobody who's got power and who's wealthy wants a nuclear waste site next to their house Although some people wouldn't be adverse to the building of new, more nuclear power plants to give them that sense of comfort, you know, that sense of being able to have electricity all the time, but having to deal with the waste um, is something completely well, different. The other thing is, I don't know, you know, having electricity all the time, we, we, how long are we going to wait? We're sitting with a crisis right now, and that crisis is not um, due to not having enough electricity for 24 hours a day type of of business mm-hmm. it's the electricity we need during the day and at and the peak times in other mm-hmm. words when people get up in the morning and when they go to bed uh, and in the evening when they're cooking etc that's when we're hitting crunch time um now renewable energy has proved itself in this country we've already uh, started the program and just in just over three years we've already got 1500 megawatts on the grid so uh it's happening and it's much cheaper. Well, it's really coming in at um, over this last three years. Uh, uh, it's it's really come down per unit price. That's Where, a, that was actually going to be my next question. If mm. you're looking at renewable energy as an alternative, I I sat with someone once who was uh, um, uh, of of the opinion um, when I sp- spoke about renewable energy, we talking about uh, generating electricity through ocean currents, generating electricity through mm. wind and through solar and through other means. Um, I was made to understand that uh, this person was telling me this is not really sustainable. If we look at moving <laughs> forward, uh, we don't have the capacity to be able to, you know. Uh, go into this and, and, and make it viable, uh, commercially viable. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a pipe dream in a sense. And uh, the thing is that, I mean, this seems to be the sentiment. If government is moving ahead, if ESCOM is moving ahead, building more power plants, more nuclear power plants, there seems to be this this uh, lack of faith in renewable energies, in our own resource, in our natural resources and the natural uh, capability to produce energy. So what would you say to people when they say that um, renewable energy is not sustainable for providing power for for, uh, for for the South African community? Well, it's it's difficult for us. I think maybe we, we don't trust ourselves. Mm. But in fact, the latest advance in, um, in the renewable energy field, which is a, a storage battery, 
by mm. Tesla, which I think was in the news about a month ago, was actually invented apparently by a South African who's now mm. living in the States. Um, so we tend to kind of, maybe we, we don't believe in ourselves. Maybe we think our sunshine is somehow lesser <laughs> than everyone else's. But I just want to um, just sort of see, say this is, I believe that what we're actually seeing is a, is a revolution. And we just haven't kind of, we haven't acknowledged it. Um, and I, I just, this is this whole idea of put, people putting solar panels on their roofs. And, you know, in Cape Town, you can see it. Businesses are putting solar panels up. The convention center has a whole lot of solar PV. The Black River Parkway, there's a whole business parkway with solar PV on. And they are doing it as a business uh, because it makes sense for them financially. And uh, a lot of our wealthier residents are starting to do this. And I just wanted to give you, like, which way is it going? In other words, is this just a fad? It's going to drop off. Mm. But here's some numbers. In 2006, um, in the U.S., there were 30,000 homes with solar PV on their roofs. In 2013, there were 400,000 homes. Wow, that's quite a jump. So that's a big jump. So... Um, and this is not this is this is the Department of Energy in the U.S. is, is uh, energy forecast. So this is not just like Greenpeace or someone like it. Um, so when we're talking about the potential, we're talking about a revolution that's already happening. So now you look at a nuclear power plant. So a nuclear power plant takes 10, 12, 15 years to build. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs. I mean, the, the, the government's got what, one trillion rand kind of uh, bill, uh, very expensive. Um, and so far, the vast majority of nuclear power plants in the world are over budget and delayed. Now, that means it's not only the capital cost that you've got to find, but the longer you delay, that means it's not generating any income for you, and therefore the cost of the finance that you borrowed is going to get more and more expensive. Exactly, as interest accrues. Yes. Um, and also another thing that's very interesting if we're looking at that, I was also going to ask you um, a question related to that. When we look at um, the, 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 the uh, time it's going to take to build this, we're talking about building capacity, but we're not building it for now. We're building it for 10 or 15 years later, which means we're still going to be sitting with the problem of uh, you know that strain on the grid becoming, mm. I mean, f- uh, five years or 10 years or 15 years down the line. We'll still be sitting with the issue of load shedding and uh, also all of the pressures then going to go back onto the consumer as someone who has to now foot the bill as is comes uh, costs uh, they incur more costs the pressure is going to be on the on the consumer to pay those costs and uh, ultimately what happens is uh, um, you know by the time these power stations are in operation um, the the consumer is probably going to have to foot the bill that's fifty uh, percent more than they're currently paying. At least. At least, at least. Um, I mean, if you think about ESCOM, just to keep the grid going, is asking for about 23% now, and we haven't even started costing exactly. the, exactly. the nuclear power plants into it. So that, that and, and right now, our, our crunch that we're sitting with is the kind of power that renewable energy can add to the grid. Um, and so fast-tracking that will get us more of the kind of power to address the, the current shortage and the current load shedding 
over the next two to three years. Nuclear power is not going to do anything for that. Interestingly enough, um, I chatted to a gentleman from Greenpeace not long ago. His name escapes me. Uh, buddy, you mentioned the model of renewable energy as being successful in Germany, uh, where um, they've been able to, I think, make use either of wind power or solar power to power mm. an entire city. And uh, that means that it is sustainable. That model is there. Why do you think that government, why do you think that ESCOM is not looking at these examples as, as perhaps uh, an alternative? Why aren't they not investigating? Or is, are they not investigating uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, subject of renewable sources a little bit more vigorously? Uh, well, are they just sticking to what is, 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 is comfortable? Um, I think if ESCOM had a choice, they wouldn't pick nuclear. Mm-hmm. They'd go for coal, which is what they know. Um, but government is actually pushing renewables as well as they're pushing nuclear, but they are actually pushing renewables, but just not fast enough. Um, ESCOM seems to be a bit reluctant with renewables. I I don't really understand why, but I would gather that they don't know too much about it and they're sticking with what they know. But a more worrying thing is when the Department of Energy did the electricity plan, they ran the model to see, um, you know, what was the best mix of energies to put on the grid that would give us energy security at the least cost. Um, and the civil society clamored for them to put in a no nuclear scenario. Mm-hmm. And when that plan came out, there was a piece of in the report that said, we didn't do a no nuclear scenario when we ran the model because when we ran the model, the most, the best energy mix for the lowest cost did not include any nuclear. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to make some any special um, tweaking to to take out nuclear. But when what happened when the final thing came out is suddenly nuclear had been added back in. Um, and I can't even remember the speak that was used, but it, it didn't sound like it was a, it's difficult to understand the technical reason for that. So then one has to ask, how much money um, are we talking about, and is this another arms deal? Um, also, now, when we look at uh, the uh, aspect of, of, of going back to all these, these other nuclear power plants that they're hoping to have online in about 10 to 15 years, mm. um, when we look at uh, the um, the fact that, as we mentioned, this is going to be generating you know a lot more nuclear waste, seven times that, mm. um, what would you say would uh, would then be the um, what would would you say would then be the, the 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 idea that government has in place? Is there a strategy in place to help perhaps deal and contain this waste? Because you said currently all the nuclear waste is generated uh, at Kub- that is generated at Kubuk is stored at Kubuk. So obviously you're going to have seven more plants uh, coming, uh, six more plants coming online. Would you say that that uh, that ESCOM and government would be looking at then storing that nuclear waste at these various uh, uh, these various plants as well. I mean, they, have, they actually have to. It's because this, it, it's it's so toxic that you actually can't you can't move it. So I, I can't remember the exact rule of thumb, but it's something like twenty to fifty years mm. that it has to stay there because it, it's got to decay a bit from mm. uh, in terms of toxicity before you can move it. But we've had Kuberg running since the eighties, and we still haven't come up with a place where we're going to put the the, the fuel and 
And you will hear some of the um, nuclear proponents very glibly say it's not really a problem. We just find a place which is, you know, very dry and very um, stable, and then we just sort of can put it in the ground, and it's fine. But um, what is uh, not often looked at is the long-term implications. Now, um, I saw a, a geologist explain that, for example, the, the Sahara was a swamp, something like 20,000 years ago. So where are we going to find a, pla- a place on this planet that we can be sure is going to be as dry and stable for 200,000 years? Um, exactly. We can't do it. And I think as human beings, we, we have to accept that we don't know everything. There isn't a technical fix to everything, and in which case we should be cautious about which technologies we, we choose and go for things that are, are going to um, be decentralized, um, small uh, incremental bits, we can add them on bit by bit as we need the energy, and that don't store up this terrible legacy for future generations. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Lizzie, the next question would be then, uh, matching up the business model of renewable energy to uh, nuclear energy, we've seen the bill uh, being somewhere in the area of about one trillion rand, um, which is of course probably the South Africa's budget for the year, mm. uh, if not even not for two years. But looking at that model, then um, one asks yourself the question: um, How does renewable energy, in terms of the price tag that comes with the infrastructure related to it, how does that match up to what we have on the cards at the moment? You mean in, in terms of where, what we're building at yes, the moment or, yes, or yes. existing? What, what but, we intend to build at this point in time in terms of nuclear energy, how does the business model match up in terms of cost, uh, looking at the infrastructure involved in creating, you know, uh, generating energy from nuclear, from, from, well, from, from, from yeah, new, renewable? Yeah, no, well, part of, the, part of the issue with renewables is that it's, it's lots of small plants. So mm. the grid doesn't have to be um, uh, strengthened or, you know, like we don't have to have massive investment into huge big uh, grid lines in order to, to take large, like, nuclear power plants. So existing grid um, with a little bit of, of uh, technical advancement is actually really good for decentralized. Mm. Yeah, and so the cost, therefore, is less. The cost is also less because you can put the power plants where people are so you don't lose all of that um, energy through the lines. But now, at the moment, our um, uh, renewable energy plants are funded by the private sector. Mm. And what we've seen is when people came in and built the first ones, the costs were quite high. Now, there's been this very steep decline. Each, each round of, of tender process that's gone through, the cost of renewables has come down. Whereas, with nuclear, the government actually put out a tender for a nuclear power plant in 2008 and then had to reject all of them because the price was too high. Mm-hmm. So, and, so, and the price continues to go up. Um, and if you look around the world, you know, nuclear power plants just get more and more expensive. So even now, um, it's very difficult to see how the government is actually going to come to a, a, a fair procurement process where we can actually really uh, believe that we're going to get value for money. Even the government's latest updated plan said that if the prices were higher than $6,500 a kilowatt, the project wouldn't go ahead. At the moment, the world price is around 8000 
So, so how, how is this process going to roll out? You know, we, we, they claim they're going to have a fair procurement process, but if the world price is already far above what our, our, our experts have come up with in terms of, you know, if it goes above 6.5, then don't do it. Do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, so, you know, if we follow our, our processes in government, we shouldn't even be putting out a tender <laughs> because we're never going to get anything. <laughs> also, also uh, what, uh, what I tend to see in terms of if we look at how uh, technology advances, um, mm-hmm. I mean, having a solar panel on your roof and generating electricity for your geyser, for instance, um, might have been quite an expensive exercise maybe five, ten years ago. But with technology becoming mm-hmm. you know, more accessible, more mm-hmm. advanced, more, more, in, uh, more, more companies, uh, small businesses coming online, manufacturing here at home, um, or, and also cheaper imports of these products, um, it seems to be driving down the cost, at least for the man in the street. So would you say then technology would play a huge role in also bringing that cost down, which would make this a more effective business model for government, for ESCOM, uh, then looking at, as you mentioned also, uh, centralized, uh, instead of having one centralized, uh, you know, uh, 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 sector of uh, generating power, having, you know, uh, pockets of uh, or, or grids that, that, are, that have their own, should I say, their own st- stations where they can generate electricity through wind, through, um, through uh, hydro, hy- hydroelectric uh, generation, through even through um, uh, uh, solar generation. Would you say then that the, with the technology involved, either this would would drive down the cost, and this would bring us under, if if not if if it bring us under at least that one trillion uh, price tag that ESCOM is putting on uh, to this 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 uh, um, this new development of building six uh, new power plants. Far below, and now imagine, just imagine a, a different world. In, imagine a world where you. Uh, and now there are companies coming on you that in the same way that people go and get car finance, but hopefully a bit cheaper, <laughs> uh, you can actually get a solar panel on your roof. So you just pay what you would normally pay for your electricity every month for, say, two or three years. And, and then after that, you own the panel on your roof. Not only that, but now the city will buy electricity from you <laughs> because you're generating maybe more than you actually use in your home. Mm-hmm. So imagine that kind of model, and some people will have wind uh, power, some will have solar, uh, people have solar water heaters, all of which creates local jobs um, and not you don't have to have a, a physics degree or a doctorate in atomic energy. You, you can um, get these jobs, welders, citizen turners, um, plumbers, electricians. Mm-hmm. So... This is, uh, this is like the kind of world that we could have. The other world is where the Russians or somebody else lends us a trillion rand. We have to pay it back and the finance costs. It's delayed for 15 years. The government's money is then going into that program. That means that our main budget money is not going to schools. It's not into... Um, hospitals and at the same time the electricity price is going to keep going up and up and up because now we have to pay back the Russians. Would you, would you say then also that um, when people look at the renewable energy 
um, they, they they picture uh, well, if the sun is there, I've got electricity, and if the sun is not there, because they don't have an understanding of the technology, if the sun is not there, I don't have electricity. <laughs> Would you say that that is the picture in the minds of people when they look at it, and this is the reason why they're saying it's not viable, this is the reason why they're saying that it's, it's not, um, you know, uh, it's not realistic that we can use this as a resource to generate electricity? Yeah, I think <laughs> is it as simple as that? I, I just think it is very simple because that's how the oppo- opposition says it. And everyone knows, okay, when the sun's down, then you obviously then wouldn't be able to generate electricity from it. But actually, a solar plant in Spain not so long ago ran for 24 hours because they, their technology, which is also being built in the Northern Cape here, was uh, a particular power plant called concentrated solar, which is a big thing, where you use a little bit of energy from the sun when the sun's up to melt salt and that's of course now takes a lot of it's very hot once you've melted mm-hmm. it and then at night when the sun's not shining you use the heat from that salt to boil water create steam drive a generator and create and um, produce electricity and then there's another technology which is the one i was talking about earlier the tesla battery which someone has has created now this is like a new technology it's called the power pack or something mm-hmm. and that's for your home so you put that up with your solar and the wind and then you you've got a battery so when the when the uh, when the sun's down or the winds aren't blowing you've got a, a storage in a battery and the interesting thing about that is that um i think it was built at, at 35,000 rand or something and then someone said, yeah, but already in China, there's a company that's taken that and they're going to be producing it at half the price. And so I, technology moves. And I mean, within three years, it would yes. really have paid for itself. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the options are really staring you in the, one in the face. Uh, so I, it's, it's sad that, uh, I mean, with all these technologies that are out there, we aren't being a little bit more creative in terms of how we look at uh, um, energy generation, and apart from the, the traditional coal, the part of from the, the or we, we could call it traditional nuclear um, just, just in closing, um, what would you say then is uh, the responsibility of the ordinary South African? Obviously, this, this, uh, the, the wheels are really in motion in terms of you know um, these power plants and the fact that it's becoming a reality probably that we will have six new pa- pa- power plants going uh, online in, in 10 or 15 years' time. What would you say is the responsibility of the ordinary South African when it comes to uh, having their say in the, in the, in the discussion um, around uh, these nuclear power plants? If they feel Feel if the person uh, sitting at home feels that they don't they don't feel that this is something that they would like to ha- they would like to have around the kids and their grandkids uh, in times to come. I, I think that um, I don't think it's a, it's going to happen. I I actually think that that uh, the money is, price tag is going to be too high. But I think there's potentially many people who are going to get rich on the pickings. Um, before the government makes a decision. So I think it's every citizen's right right and responsibility to to actually stand up and make a noise. And there are different ways of doing that. I mean, as ordinary citizens, if, if you work in, in the city of Cape Town, then um, every Wednesday at um, between about 7 and half past 8 at any time, we, you know, the Southern African Faith Communities have a picket, which is just standing outside Parliament, we have permission, there's no danger, standing there saying no nuclear deals as the cabinet drives in. So having more people there means that 
that's where the leaders of the land can actually see that there's many people who are opposed to it. If you don't feel like getting up in the dark, um, then, you know, have your say in terms of uh, writing letters to the newspaper, speaking out on the radio, tell your neighbors what's going on. Just um, I'm, right now there's uh, tomorrow morning in Parliament, and Parliament is open to everybody, um, there is the nuclear industry, well, sorry, the department is coming to talk about its plans for the nuclear, the nuclear plan going forward, where, what stage it's at. Now, there's a space for people to simply go in there and listen um, and get informed. And um, so there, there will be spaces opening up. Um, and just watch because there's bound to be places where people are going to come together and sign petitions and, and um, get on the streets mm. to say we, we really don't. And, and when you think, oh, you know, that's too much effort or oh, it's never going to stop it, it will stop it. Mm. People's voices count. But if we give up before we've even been told to go away, then it's very easy to carry on. If there's no opposition... Um, and now is the time to actually stand up and say, no, I actually want schools for my grandchildren, I want hospitals, I want houses, I don't want money disappearing into a crooked nuclear deal. Uh, the voice of Lizzie McDade, a researcher at the University of Cape Town, uh, an African uh, Climate and Development Initiative, South Africa. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, wonderful discussion we have, we've had, and uh, let's hope that uh, we've made an impact and inspired some people, uh, you know, to start thinking also along the lines, if not government, and at least everyone for themselves thinking about, you know, how they can generate electricity from nature itself uh, will be, be beneficial to themselves, also the, to the environment and that will create a you know a, a, a conducive environment for their kids and their grandkids to grab as well. Thank you so much and all the best. Thank you. Well, of course, uh, it's a talking point, and after the break, we will be listening to uh, Lindy van der Basela. She's uh, going to be speaking to us about uh, job skills and why there's a scarcity of interest in certain fields. Uh, we'll be chatting to her around that, inshallah. Don't forget, at around about 10 to, we'll be speaking to the Guardian's uh, Angels uh, Work with Neighborhood Watchers, and thereafter, uh, we will have uh, um, a a, disc- a, a interview with uh, Kamila Ismail. She is the chairperson of Woodland CPF speaking about the, uh, the uh, meet, public meeting they've had and some of the uh, resolutions that they uh, that they had um, achieved. Then from 10 past 8, uh, we have Mr. John Adams here. We'll be chatting to him, inshallah, from the up until 9, speaking about uh, home evictions and what you can do to uh, stop yourself being evicted and what the law says about uh, home evictions, inshallah. So we'll chat, be chatting to John uh, around about after 10 past 18, inshallah. But for now, it's time for this.